Last week, uh, Pastor Bob uh, launched a new teaching series uh, called Caring. How many of you were here last Sunday? And uh, he asked and kind of answered the question, who really cares? That was kind of his theme for the morning. And he said that the, my takeaway from that was because God cares, we should give him our cares and care for others. That was my takeaway from that message. And since we like to keep you on your toes as much as possible, about a month ago, I launched a teaching series. So we have two different teaching series going on right now. Most churches with multiple teaching pastors don't do this, but because we know our church and we know that you are the exception, because you are exceptional, and because we know you can handle it and you're not easily confused, from time to time we decide to teach two different series at the same time. And every once in a while, one of us will teach back-to-back Sundays just to throw off your groove. So stay on your toes. So today, um, I'm going to continue a series I started last month, this series where we're talking about God's will. Because for as long as I can remember, God's will has been a topic of discussion around the church and among followers of Jesus. And literally thousands of books have been written on the topic of God's will. I've read most of them. We started off asking, can we even know the will of God? And if we can, how? And I went to great lengths in part one to illustrate my view that God's will works very little like a blueprint and much more like a game plan. And if you missed that part one, it's really the foundation for the whole series. And I really encourage you to either get the CD if you still use CDs or listen to it online on our website or on our podcast. We spent the whole morning laying the groundwork for everything else that we're going to say in this series, and so we're, so we're just that we're take, all talking about the same thing when we talk about the will of God. We said that we get a lot more clarity when we approach God's will like a game plan rather than a blueprint. So how can we do that? And we said that first, uh, this is just kind of review, uh, that we obey what we know, then we get the facts, we think biblically, and we master the basics. That's what we took away from part one from the intro. Then a couple weeks ago in part two, we, uh, we said that first of all, I think we agreed that our lives are the sum total of all of our choices. And you're like, darn it. (laughs) But then we agreed that, yes, that's pretty much true for us. We said that generally the will of God can be found within three uh, contexts. Remember this? We talked about the providential will of God. Those are the things that God's just going to do anyway. We talked about the moral will of God, the things that God has instructed all of us to do that he wants us to do, those we might call them the thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's the commands of Scripture. And that somewhere in conjunction with the providential will of God and the moral will of God, we'll find what? The personal will of God. His personal direction for your life. And we said that the more familiar you are with the providential will of God, what God's going to do anyway, and the more obedient you are to the moral will of God, what God wants all of us to do, then the easier it will be for you to discover the personal will of God. Got that? And as we study God's word, the more familiar you become with the providential will of God, and the more you understand uh, how God operates and what he's going to do anyway, that he might, the things he might want you to be involved in, and the more obedient and surrendered that you become to the moral will of God. And you know those things that we already know that we're supposed to do? You know? Those standards that God has established for our families and our relationships and our interactions with one another and our private lives and our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions, then the easier it's going to be for you to determine and understand the personal will of God. And I think that we kind of agreed uh, that that's great and it's even kind of helpful, but sometimes we find ourselves at a place where because we haven't put in the time and we haven't put in the effort and we haven't laid the necessary groundwork and we haven't really set ourselves up to be prepared for all these different uh, situations, that there are times 
when we need direction, and we need to know now. You ever found yourself there? That there's like a deadline, you know, and you're like, I need to know, like, it's Sunday, and I really need to know by Tuesday, <laughs> you know, and it's not, it, it, you're, you haven't really got time for a providential moral and all that and where it intersects and how all, what God's going to do and what he expects. That's not really going to help me right now. I don't have time for that. You know, I'll consider that in the future, and I'll tackle it, and I'll get into it, but I need to know by like in like two days. I don't have time to learn all this, you know, and to study what God's ultimately going to do because that's how God operates and what God expects of us, you know, in our attitudes and in our actions and in our relationships and all that. But I need to know now. So today, it's rare that I give you a shortcut because I don't think there are many shortcuts in this whole thing of following Jesus. But today, I'm going to give you the fast track, okay? How do you discover God's will when you need to know now? Now I've got your attention. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, uh, no, 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. You have your, your Bible or your device. going to give you a little bit of context before we read some verses here. Because in 1 Kings 12, we find illustrated for us a principle that is so obvious that I kind of wonder why we have to spend 30 minutes talking about it. Because it's, it's like, this, isn't this obvious and intuitive and self-evident, but at the same time, it's a principle that's so important that there's a tendency oftentimes to overlook it, and there's a tendency not to leverage this principle for our benefit. And so the good news is, as we look at this together, it's this, that God wants you to know his will even more than you want to know it. We agree that it's important, but we think that it's elusive. So, but God's given us a very clear, very specific, very practical way of discerning his will for our lives. So 1 Kings 12 um, we read the story of a would-be king who stumbled onto this principle and then he, he leaned into it and then he violated it. Here's a little background. This is an awesome story. The first king of Israel, a little, uh, little quiz time, first king of Israel was a man named Saul. He didn't do so well as king overall and God uh, before long replaced him with David. David did really well for the most part. And then David's son followed him. Which son? Solomon. He followed him as king of Israel. And Solomon did really well um, at the beginning of his reign, but eventually he turned his back and his heart away from God, and his heart went after his foreign wives, and he started to worship their gods. And, and, and God said to Solomon, you know, Solomon, you've disappointed me greatly, and consequently I'm going to tear this, tear part of the kingdom away from you and your family. And because I made your father David a promise, I'm, I'm going to allow um, a part of the kingdom to remain under his name, but I'm going to tear the majority of the kingdom away because you've disobeyed me and you dishonored me as a king. But Solomon, I'm going to wait until you're gone before I do any of this in honor of your father David. So God made this prophecy to Solomon, and after he died, the, that the kingdom of Israel would be divided. God sent a prophet to a man named Jeroboam, and he, uh, he made the same prophecy to Jeroboam. He said, Solomon's kingdom is going to be divided, and I'm going to give you a large portion of it. You and your followers will rule over more than half the nation of Israel. King Solomon finds out about this prophecy, and he's not very happy with Jeroboam. Like, he was the recipient of the prophecy. He had nothing to do with it. But Solomon's upset, so he chases Jeroboam down and was going to kill him because he didn't want anybody coming along after he was dead and stealing the legacy of his kingdom from his son and from his name. And Jeroboam caught wind of this, and he headed off to Egypt to escape. So time goes by, and then more time goes by, and finally Solomon dies. 
And everyone assumed that his son, now now it gets confusing, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, apparently these were common names, would become the king of Israel. Everybody assumed that Solomon's son would become king of Israel. Uh, They assumed not only that he would become the king, that he would be the best choice for king. He's Solomon's son. So where this story picks up in 1 Kings 12, the nation has sent representatives to crown Rehoboam, Solomon's son, as king of Israel. And just before they do, they make one simple request, and that sets us up for the principle that we're going to talk about today. So 1 Kings chapter 12, I'm going to start to read. You can follow along in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. Verse 2, when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt. I don't know how word got around. That would, I would like to know how that happened. Where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam. He and the whole assembly of Israel went to, Jerobo- to Rehoboam and said to him, okay, so get the picture. They're about to crown Rehoboam king. And Jeroboam, who has escaped to Egypt, has now come back. And he's with these people who are approaching Rehoboam before they make him king. And this is what they have, just have one simple request. Verse 4. They said, your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. The word serve is a real key word in this whole passage of Scripture. They said, look, if you will lighten up, if you'll do a better job in leading us, if you will lighten up, your father was so harsh, he had, the taxes were so high, there was forced labor, your father wore us out, and we want you to be king, but would you do us a favor? If we make you the king, would you promise to lighten the load? Could we go a few years without a, without a major building project? Can we go a few years with a little bit lighter tax burden? Your father almost destroyed us. So now here's Rehoboam at a defining moment in his life where the people have said, we want you to be king. It seems like the natural progression of things. We think you're a good choice. But we want you to be a different kind of king than your father. And now he has a decision to make. From our vantage point, perhaps, um, and certainly in our culture, we read that and we think, well, that's, that's easy. Just say, yeah, I'll lighten up. I'll lighten the load. Sure. You know, I'll be a good king. But there's a lot at stake here for Rehoboam. So to say, yes, I'll lighten the load. Yes, I'll be a more merciful king. He thought it may have communicated to them that he was going to be a weak king. And if he were to give in to their request before he's even crowned king, who knows, maybe next week they're going to come up with another request. So he may be held hostage to this first request and then another request, and who knows where this ends. At the same time, he knew that his father had been a taskmaster. He knew that his father had been very hard on the people. So there may have been something in him that wanted to grant their request, uh, but there may have been something in him that wanted to prove a point. So this is a very difficult environment. He's a young man. He didn't have skill. He didn't have experience. He didn't have the wisdom of his father. So there he is facing these representatives of the whole nation, and he's got a decision to make. So he does a very, very smart thing. He asks for a little bit of time. Look what he says. Uh, this is verse 5. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. He did the thing that all of us need to do from time to time when we've got to make a decision, we've got to make it now, and there's so much at stake, and there's so much emotion, and there's so much pressure, and we can't see it clearly. Rehoboam went to outsiders for consultation. That's, what he asked, that's why he needed this time. He asked for the input and the insight of wiser, older people. And God spoke through them. Here's what happened, verse 6. And King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. 
He said, how would you advise me to answer these people? So he goes to the older men in the kingdom who had the advantage of having watched his father. They saw the mistakes he had made. They saw the consequences of those mistakes. They saw the good decisions his father had made. They saw the rewards of those decisions. So they had unbelievable perspective. They had experience. They had wisdom. And they were older than Rehoboam. They had a little further down the path. And he goes to them and he says, what should I do? That was quite possibly the best decision that he'd ever made very early in his leadership experience. Their reply in verse 7. They replied, If today you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Basically, in a nutshell, they gave him very godly and wise counsel. They said, If you, Rehoboam, if you will learn to position yourself as a servant of the people that you're leading, they will in turn always serve you. And if Rehoboam had taken that advice, it would have been a completely different story. Not only for him, but for the entire nation of Israel. Who knows? You may have named your kids after him. But this is where, this is where he departed from good judgment. Look what he does in verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, or they rejected the advice the elders gave him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. In other words, there's a group of people who had a lot at stake in terms of what happened to Rehoboam, okay? So as Rehoboam went, so went this particular group of people, and he goes to them, and he asks them, verse 9, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young man who'd grown up with him replied, tell these people who've said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now you tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, which is a figure of speech way of saying, if you think my father was bad, you wait till I'm in charge. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. That was their advice. Verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, all as the king had said, and come, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. And he followed the advice of the young man and said, My father made your yoke heavy, I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king, verse 15, did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam. That last part is so incredible and kind of complicated, and I can't explain it very well, but I'll take a shot at it. Because here we have a remarkable uh, kind of uh, picture of the providential will of God intersecting with a decision made by an individual. So there's a sense in which it looks like Rehoboam was set up for failure, but here's the deal. Uh, God fulfilled his providential will through the free choice of Rehoboam. On one hand, it's an awesome example of how the two blend together, and it's a reminder to all of us that there are some things that God is going to do, and one of the wisest things for us to do, to learn to do, is to cooperate with what God is going to do anyway, and to be a part of that. The greatest point, I think, the greatest principle that presents itself in the story is the value of going to other people for counsel and advice. One of the primary tools that God's going to use in your life and use in my life to guide us is the counsel of other people. And here's why, and you can identify with this. A lot of times we are pushed to make decisions about things that are so uh, close to us that we can't be objective. You ever found yourself there in a situation in your life where like, I'm too close to this, I'm too emotionally engaged, it's too emotionally charged, it's too relational, I'm just, I need somebody from the outside giving me a little clarity. Can you identify with that? Just kind of do this, nod your head, something, or put your hand because oftentimes we are asked, just because life hands it to us, we are asked to make decisions about relationships, 
And with relationships, there's always emotion. There should be. And emotion has a tendency to cloud our ability to reason and to cloud our decision-making abilities. If you've ever been in love, don't look at anybody right now, but if you've ever been in love, you know what I'm talking about because love is like this fog. You know, it's wonderful fog. And it, it, it can make silly... Uh, we, we can make silly and crazy and sometimes really bad decisions when we're in love. And if you've ever had to make decisions like that, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, what was I thinking? I just wasn't seeing that clearly. I convinced myself of something. If you've ever had to make decisions that dealt with family members, you know how complex that can be and how difficult it is to be objective about that. A lot of times we have to make decisions about things that we're, we're just in over our head in terms of the information or the experience. Maybe you've been in business. Maybe you were new in business. And all of a sudden, you had to make a business decision that's way over your head. Or maybe you're just not good with finances. Or all of a sudden, you find yourself in a situation where you've got to make some financial decisions now. And you're in way over your head. And even with all the wisdom that you have, you're unable to make a good decision because you just don't know what you need to know to make the right decision. So oftentimes, there are decision-making environments that are so complex, that are so filled with emotion or maybe they're just so simply over our heads that we're just getting along with God's word and praying hard and trying to be quiet. We're just not going to get there because of the nature of that particular decision-making environment. You're like, that doesn't sound right. Well, hang with me. So what God's done is he's made this fairly simple for us. He's given me you, and he's given you me. He's given us one another. And just as no member of our physical bodies operates independently in the body of Christ, we have not been left to make decisions independently or in isolation. God has given us one another. He's given us the body of Christ in order to facilitate that decision-making process. And if, if you can hang with me for just a few more minutes, I'm going to give you some guidelines, and, and maybe we can kind of create this category in our thinking where we're willing to say, you know, God, I believe that you're going to speak to me through the people around me. I believe you can speak to me through the godly wisdom of believers that you've placed in my life. And if, I think if we'll at least kind of create that place in our thinking, then learn how to leverage that, I think we'll be amazed, honestly, and maybe shocked at how clearly God will lead us. Um, Again, I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm not talking about a magic catch-all, you know, silver bullet verse of Scripture. I'm not talking about, you know, the first thought that pops into your head when you finally get all quiet and mellow. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm not talking about dreams and visions and whatever. Like, you know, you're driving, you've been praying, you've been driving down High Street, and the license plate in the car in front of you has these four letters, and you think it means something, and you're like, God spoke to me. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. God wants you to know His will. And he's willing to make it clear. And one of the primary avenues that he's going to use is through the people in your life. What's interesting is that the writer uh, here says, uh, the writer who says more about this in, in, the, Old, in the Old Testament and the Scripture is uh, Rehoboam's father, Solomon. I would think that Rehoboam grew up hearing this and having this taught to him. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he was a man who maybe we think didn't need much counsel. We think he didn't need much advice. He could just go on his own tuition and get that, and that gift that God had given him and get it right most of the time. But I want you to look at a series of verses where the wisest man in the world, uh, this is probably where Rehoboam learned to go for, to con, for, to, for consultation in the first place, but he, he ended up rejecting it. But the wisest man in the world says this, in order to make the right decisions, in order to hear from God, you need to bring outsiders into your, 
into your thought process. Just a couple of verses here. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, he will increase his learning. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 20, 18. Prepare plans by consultation. Make war by wise guidance. 24, 6. For by wise guidance, you'll wage war, and in abundance of counselors, there's victory. Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Isn't that incredible? The wisest man in the world says, if you want to make the right decisions, you've got to invite other people into your decision-making process. Let me tell you why I want to take this whole time this morning and talk about this one simple principle. Because where I live as a pastor, and incidentally, this, is, this week marked 28 years of uh, church ministry in Ellsworth for me. And through the years, growing up and you know, backing up and growing up in a pastor's home and in the past as a youth pastor and seeing all kinds of situations and all kinds of dilemmas and family and marriage and divorce and remarriage and financial reversal and jobs and college. And there have been dozens of times where I've heard someone tell me their story about the mess their life had become or the dilemma that they're facing or the problems that they're dealing with like right now. And over and over again, as sensitively as I know how, I have asked this question. Did you ask anybody about this? Did you get any input on this? What are other people saying to you? Before you signed the deal, did you run this by anybody? Before you got involved with him or her and you decided we should get married, did you notice this or that? Did you talk to anybody about that? Before you made this decision that ended up in such complicated, complicated circumstances, did you invite anybody else into the process? And most of the time, and I don't mean like 51% of the time, I mean like 95% of the time, the answer to that is, well, no. God, I thought God was speaking very clearly to me. Yeah, it's funny how foggy that gets. Because I'm thinking to myself, well, someone with an average IQ and a little bit of objectivity would have seen that situation and said, bad decision, don't do it. When I ask Christians this question, and they're like, well, no, I didn't really run it by anybody, but I prayed about it. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm in favor of prayer. That's a good thing. But God has given us something sometimes that's even more practical when it comes to getting good, sound direction. He's given us one another. And sometimes the very thing that you're praying for, (laughs) the answer is found in the advice of other people. But 95% of the situations that people talk with me about, if they had just invited wise counsel in on the process before the decision was made, they could have avoided the mess completely. Because a lot of times, these are people who sincerely want to do the right thing. But now they're down the road and they're frustrated. And they got some baggage and they got some scars and they got some junk they're just going to have to juggle. And now they're mad at God. You know, God, why didn't you speak to me? Why didn't you show me? Why didn't you stop me? And I think God's going, because you wouldn't leverage this principle. Because you wouldn't humble yourself, first of all, and listen. Because you thought, you know, if I can just kind of get alone and read some Bible verses and find some verses that match up with the thing I want, and I can pray and I can get real quiet, that's all there is to it. But the truth is, God is willing and eager to speak to us, and one of his primary tools is other people. The flip side of that is, in my experience, I've seen so many occasions where people would come talk with me or tell me about some, uh, or tell me about a conversation they'd had with someone else where they have a dilemma and they really want to do the right thing, but they didn't know what the right thing is, and they'll begin talking maybe with me or another Christian, a friend of theirs, and something is said, and it's just like a light goes on. It's like an aha moment, and they see it. 
I'm saying God will oftentimes use the wise counsel of the people that he's put around you, and he'll speak directly through them. And I'm so adamant about this because I've, I've, over the years, I've learned personally that so many times, especially in the big decisions, in those decisions where there's a lot of emotion and nobody's neutral, and how do I know if it's God or if it's me? You know, how have I, have I, have I, have I seen this clearly? Have I really heard from God? I've learned that I'm far better off running even the medium-sized decisions through the counsel of wise people. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in conversations with people, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I wasn't seeing that. I've become pretty dependent on the counsel of other people who are smarter and wiser than me. And I believe one of the primary ways that God speaks to me is through the people in my life. And again, I I don't say to them, you know, Let's sit down now and let's schedule this. So like maybe Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock we can have a coffee and we'll sit down and God will speak to, you, to me through you. That's what, I need, that's what I need from you, so get ready. It's not a formal deal, okay? It's just developing a sensitive ear in the fa- to the fact that this is a tool that God uses. And if you learn to listen carefully, if you learn to listen strategically, you'll be amazed at how clearly and sometimes how quickly... Uh, you come to understand what God's will is in a particular situation. I don't know what you, th- you may be sitting there thinking, and I understand this. You're like, yeah, that, you let me tell you my story. Because that's great that worked for you. But man, my wife went to a counselor, and now we spent hundreds of dollars trying to undo that mess. I understand. A lot of us have been in situations where we've been given bad advice. I get that. In fact, the story of Rehoboam, he got some good advice and he got some bad advice. Um, the end of the story, by the way, is that the kingdom was divided. So the issue is not, should we listen or should we not listen? The issue isn't, does God speak that way or doesn't God speak that way? God speaks that way. We need to learn to listen carefully. We need to learn to establish some boundaries and some parameters about who we listen to and how we listen and what we do with that. So I want to give you four suggestions about how to leverage this principle of hearing God through other people. Uh, this is really about choosing. First of all, it's about choosing the right people. So number one, you need to choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. When it comes to hearing from God through the counsel of other people, you need to learn to listen to people who have nothing to lose by telling you the truth. The problem with Rehoboam was that his young friends had a lot to lose. They were leveraging themselves to use this friendship that they had growing up to find positions of power and influence in his kingdom. They had a lot to lose. And most of us have those same kinds of friends. You have friends, listen carefully, who are more concerned about the friendship than they are about you as a friend. You have friends, and I do too, who are more concerned about the friendship. In other words, they're, they're just going to tell you whatever they need to tell you to make sure nothing happens to the friendship. That's their priority over telling you what you really need to hear. You need to find someone and find a circle of people who have nothing to lose by telling you the truth. Number two, you need to choose someone who is where you want to be in life. This is, this is a whole message. I'm not going to go too far down this road, but you need to choose someone who is where you want to be in life. You need to find people who are where you want to be in certain areas of your life and in a sense have a map as how to get there. Basically, what you're saying is, you know, I want to be where you are in that area, in your marriage. I want to be where you are financially. I want to be where you are in your relationships. I want to be where you are in your, in your spiritual walk with God. You know, I want to, I'm not where you are, and I'm trying to make a decision. And ultimately, as a result of all these kinds of decisions, 
10 or 15 years from now, I'd like to be where you are. Would you share your map with me? Because obviously you know how to get there. You're there. Didn't just happen. The problem is, oftentimes we, we ask people who are no further down the road than we are. Mostly because we have a pretty good idea of the advice they're going to give, that it's going to back up what we want to do anyway. You're having marital problems, and a coworker walks past the office door, and you're like, come on in here, and he comes in, you sit down, and he's as dumb as you are in these things, and you're going, you know, my wife, blah, 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 and he's like, well, I'll tell you what I do, my wife, blah, 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 and um, you know, you're like, yeah, say you're exactly right, man, that's right, I'm going to tell her that, and man, that's dumb. See, <laughs> we don't have any business asking advice from people who aren't really any further uh, toward where we want to be, you know, than we are. I mean, they're peers. We can share and talk and pray and socialize and we can, you know, but when it comes to God, I want you to speak to me and needs, we got to be so careful. And chances are the bad advice that you've gotten, you know, from even from professional counselors came from men and women who have maybe been a little bit older, maybe been a little bit more educated, but in terms of being where you want to be, they're no closer than you are. So what Rehoboam did right in this story is he went to the men who had been there and done that. He said, hey, you watched a, a king operate. You were in the inner circle. You watched him lead for 40 years. What do you think I ought to do? And they said, well, we've got some context for that decision. But his friends had no more context than he did. And besides that, they were clearly more interested in that relationship than they were in what happened to Rehoboam. So we need to find people who are where we want to be, and we need to ask to borrow their map. It's like saying, you know, look, look, in, in this area of our lives, in, in our kids, in our family, in our schedule, in our job, in our finances, in our relationships, in our involvement in church, in our ministry, we, we, don't, we don't want to copy you, but we want to get to the same destination. So would you share a corner of your map with us? And I tell you, the insight that you, that you pick up in environments like that is unbelievable, and it's so valuable. And you and I need to find people who are where we want to be and not simply struggling just to get along there with us. Number three is you need to ask more than one person. If you have one advisor, first of all, it's not fair to that one advisor. You're not getting the value of a lot of different perspectives. It takes a little time to kind of vet people for this. You know, I know you've got to start somewhere. It takes a lot of effort. But if you find a couple people, find three, four people, that can give you some direction and insight into a particular area where you need to make that decision. You need to make it now. Number four is when you, you need to go into those conversations sensitive to the fact that God may speak to you. Don't be surprised. I know I've been in those conversations where God has intended to speak to me and I haven't heard it. I haven't noticed that it's him. Again, you don't, you don't front load it. It's like, yeah, what are you doing on Wednesday morning? Let's grab lunch because I asked God to speak through you, so you know, get something ready. You don't need, you don't, I would say don't do that. Uh, this isn't about control. This isn't about, you know, I'm over you and you're over her, and this is a multi-level spiritual thing. You know, you've got to go to the upline to get direction. I'm not talking about them. I'm just talking about the relationships that God's allowed us to develop for, for the context of where we where we go in, and as we go in, we're like, God, I, you know I've got this decision to make. God, you know I've got this thing weighing on me. Let me hear from you, maybe through this conversation. It may mean that they suggest you do A, and A is so absurd that it reminds you of something. It reminds you of C, and you do C. 
you hadn't thought about that. It may mean that they suggest B and that's it. And you just go and do option B. But you go into these conversations with an openness and a humility or God, you, you want me to know. I want to know, would you please use this conversation as a tool for confirmation for me that I'm headed in the right direction and then give me some clarity. Then I would say there are three questions to ask. You might want to write these down. In the context of these conversations, after you've given your background and you're given your story or whatever, you ask these questions. Number one, are any of the options I'm considering outside the boundaries of Scripture, as far as you know? This is where you've got to surround yourself with people who are a little further down the road, maybe know their Bible better than you do. That would be helpful. Are any of the options I'm considering outside the boundaries of Scripture, as far as you know? Because if you notice that... Christians and people in churches, we can make the Bible say just about what we want it to say. So don't lean solely on your own understanding and interpretation of the Bible. This is really helpful if you're a brand new believer, or maybe you're not a Christian and you're still thinking about it, and you're thinking, you know, I I know you said there's a providential will of God and the moral will of God, and I don't really know what any of those things are, then ask this question. Are any of the options I'm considering outside the boundaries of Scripture? This is really about making certain that we're operating within the moral will of God. Second question, I'm going to really narrow it down a little bit. What do you think is the wise thing for me to do? What do you think is the wise thing for me to do? What's frustrating to me sometimes is that most of the issues we deal with are not right or wrong issues. They're not moral issues. Do I stay in this job or do I take this job out of state? Do I stay in this relationship or should I leave it? Do I continue this friendship or whatever? It's change the nature of it. It's those kinds of things that aren't right or wrong issues. And so the wisdom decisions, it just kind of focuses in here and, and, and based on, you know, what you know about me, based on my past experience, based on where I hope to be in the future, what do you think is the wise thing for me to do? The scripture says that he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. And he who walks wisely will be delivered. So it's through wisdom that God delivers us from an awful lot of bad decisions. So you make the wise decision before you have to face the good or the bad decision. Ask this question. Based on what I've told you, based on what you know about me, what do you think is the wise thing for me to do? And then number three, this is kind of tricky, but I've found it a good question to ask. It's simply, what would you do if you were me? Based on what uh, you've experienced in life, because you've been there, you've done that, that's why I'm talking to you about it, you've accomplished this, you failed here, you succeeded later, you be- based on what you know, if you were me, what would you do? And if we will be selective in who we ask, if we'll follow some criteria about who we ask, and if we'll ask some strategic questions, I think we'll be amazed. As some of you have already been, because you're, you're sitting there nodding your heads, and you're like, oh yeah, it's so right, it's right on, I just wish I'd known this 20 years ago. You'll be amazed at how many times God uses the body of Christ to give you guidance and direction. And it isn't a less spiritual approach. It isn't a last resort kind of approach. This is central core kind of stuff for the Christian experience. I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to invite the band to come to the stage. And um, everybody, how many of you have ever been to Faith Community Fellowship on a Sunday morning before? Okay. So you've seen the band come to the stage. You know how that works. They get out of their seats, they walk to the front, and they do their thing, and they get ready. So you've seen it before, so you can just stay with me for a second. There are probably two reasons why we don't do what I'm talking about today. Maybe three. Because you'll 
first of all, you'll probably say, well, I don't, I don't really know anybody like that. We can talk about that sometime, because I think you do. And the two primary reasons why we don't do this is the same reason men before the days of GPS that we would rather drive around for hours completely lost before we would ever ask for directions. And reason number one is, yeah, I know, those amens and different, different things. Reason number one is pride, because I should be able to figure this out. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Oh, let me set you free on this one. Listen, great and effective leadership is not about making decisions on your own. It's about owning the decision once it's been made. I'm just going to repeat that. I've never heard myself say it before. Great leadership is not about making decisions on your own. It's about owning the decision once it's been made. And if you lead, wherever you lead, in your business or your small group or your community or your church, wherever you might be a leader, you don't need to feel like, well, since I'm the leader, since I'm the one, I should know. I shouldn't really have to invite anybody else in on the process. You just need to free yourself from that kind of thinking. I'm in so far down this road, I shouldn't really need anybody else's. No. But we have got to own the decisions once they've been made, and we need to take advantage of every relationship and every opportunity that we have to leverage the wisdom of other people or to leverage the experience of other people because this is God's way. And oftentimes he's going to speak to us because of our willingness to get involved in this process. And I think the, so, the first reason is, really comes down to pride. The second reason that we avoid this is because we already know what we're, going to, what we're going to hear and we don't want to hear it. Ever have one of those? Uh, I'd rather just, I mean, I, sometimes I'd rather just take my little favorite verses and my little tiny small impression of God and just kind of run with that because I, I really don't want to ask so-and-so about their input because they're probably going to set me straight. I already know what they're going to say. You know, he's so predictable. He says the same thing every time. That's, those are the kinds of people we need in our lives. Listen, when you find yourself avoiding counsel because you don't want to hear what you think you're going to hear, that needs to be a big, giant red flag blowing in the wind for you. So stop right where you are because when we consciously avoid certain kinds of advice and counsel because it's a little too close to home, it's a little too threatening, that it may be God's way of saying, just slow down and let's get this whole thing stopped. You're moving in the wrong direction. God's given us one another. And God's willing to speak through the people he's put around us if we'll learn how to leverage this principle. And if we'll be careful about who we go to and if we'll ask the right questions and if we'll approach it with a spirit of humility because your Heavenly Father wants you to know his will even more than you want to know it. And if we'll learn to listen, he's more than willing to speak. I love these two verses in uh, Psalm 25 and they're the basis for the song that we're going to sing. It's a song that we revived from our archives a few weeks ago. It's a simple chorus. It comes right out of Psalm 25. It says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you. Let's stand together and sing.